0: Welcome to episode 27 of the Moana Nui podcast. We are so excited. Thank you guys for tuning in and listening and joining us tonight for another amazing show. My name is Moana, and I am the author of the children's book series, The Adventures of Nakoa and Nohea, editor of the Wild Card Chronicles comic book series, self publisher. Indie champion, lover of all things geek, and especially lover of the Indigenous people. So thank you guys for joining us tonight. I am joined by my beautiful co-host, Dana. Hello, everyone. I am Dana out with Danika Vance. Uh, Some of you know
1: me as a cosplay event photographer uh, staff event photographer uh, so I, a lot of times you'll see me at MomoCon, DragonCon Anime Weekend, Elena just to name a few uh, I also event Plan I just do a little bit of everything so anyone who knows me knows I do a little bit of everything so <laughs> we're so excited for our very next guest uh, that uh, we're going to get ready to introduce so buckle down and get ready for another great podcast
0: Alrighty, righty. So tonight we are joined by the amazingly beautiful and talented Cece the Geek. She is an entrepreneur, philanthropist, and cosplayer from Washington, D.C. Her activist work extends as far back as 2007 as a volunteer in Hurricane Katrina relief efforts. She subsequently founded the Alternative Spring Break <laughs> program at Bowie State University, CC takes pride in using her platform to create safe spaces for Black and other marginalized cosplayers. She's also the founder and CEO of HBCUCon, celebrating the influence and intersections of historically Black institutions and the geek community. She's also a co-host, co-writer, and marketing strategist for Everybody Gets One podcast, and a consultant for Hire. CC has been cosplaying since 2015 and is a proud member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority, Incorporated. You can follow CC on Instagram and Facebook at CC The Geek and HBCUCon, and um, their website is HBCUCon.org. But with that said, let's bring CC on. We're so happy to have her with us tonight. Yay, I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. I love your earrings, first of all. Oh,
2: thank you. And, and thank you again. I have the matching bracelet, too. I left it at my dad's house, but I love that bracelet so much.
0: <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Alrighty, so let's get started by um, having you tell us just a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, and how you found yourself in cosplay.
2: Sure. So, of course, you know, originally from Washington, D.C., and um, that was a very interesting time, right? because I went I saw I went from living in DC to living in Prince George's County to then living in Montgomery County. and um, at the time when I was living in DC DC was very different <laughs> than it is today. So um, I had a very interesting backstory where like I kind of saw my parents go from being like barely scraping by to doing fairly well for themselves. Um, and thus, I've, I have the privilege of having a of, um, very well-rounded, I guess, perspective when it comes to the various um, things that different people of different classes face. Now, of course, I um, am a proud HBCU graduate. Um, and those four years at Bowie State truly shaped a, a huge chunk of like who I am and really made um, a lot of things in like my childhood make a lot of sense and charted the course for the path that I'm on now. And it ultimately led me to meeting you two wonderful women. So um, I of course graduated from Bowie State University in 2009 and during that time founded the Alternative Spring Break Initiative. That was an interest- That's an interesting story in of itself that I guess we could talk about a little bit as well. I don't know. Yeah, I I guess that's my elevator speech. (laughs) And then um, cost plan in 2015, I have done some work. In addition to that, um, after I graduated, I actually worked at NIH under Dr. Fauci's uh, leadership for about seven years contracting there. And then after that, I did um, some work for various nonprofit organizations, um, including in women's rights and racial justice as well. So just very excited and um and just happy to be here sorry (laughs) y'all i can't stress that enough
1: (laughs) we're excited excited you're here too (laughs) yeah well of course you just talked about uh of you attending you know an historical black college at uh, Bowie State University can Mm -hmm. you tell us how your experience there not only shaped you as a person, but also your energy.
2: Yes, oh my gosh, and it's so funny because I feel like I can't even separate those two. Um, I can try, but (laughs) we'll see how it works out. Um, When I first got to Bowie my freshman year, my father was actually campus police, so that was interesting um <laughs> <laughs> he did his best to leave me alone. God bless him okay. um, <laughs> but like um i uh, i found my tribe at buoy almost immediately um outside of the, of my um soros of course in delta i okay met my tribe, like I have friends from college who we have been friends since freshman year, like first semester I arrived freshman year. And I was um, part of the university's honors program. So I stayed in this, I stayed in a um, co-ed dorm. And in that dorm, there was um, some like, you know, variety of different people. And when I first moved in, there was um, these two guys, uh, guy friends of mine who now like some of my best friends, David Hooker and Marcus Brooks, and they were volunteering with the, with the Student Government Association to help me move in, right? So that was kind of how we hit it off as friends. And then I ran into another friend of mine who we actually had SAT prep together um, named Louisa Aguirre, now Louisa Spencer. But long to um, sum it all up, I guess, is we connected almost immediately. Marcus and David's dorm room just so happened to be the room um, one floor beneath mine. And there, our, our rooms were divided into suites and there were five bedrooms in each suite with two um, you know, students in each room and they all shared a bathroom. So um, David and Hooker's, um, we call him Hooker, not David. We call Hooker and Marcus were like the epicenter of that suite, right? And there was a whole setup. Like what you see in Milana's background right now, that's how the dorm looked. Like there was like multiple <laughs> screen, multiple TVs. Some people are watching, you know, Heroes. Uh, remember the show Heroes, Save the Cheerleaders, yeah. Save the World. That was, our, that was our jam back in the day. We were watching <laughs> anime, subs and dubs, you know. And then the <laughs> other TV, people were playing video games. Like it's Guitar Hero, it's Dance Dance Revolution. It's all of that going on. So, um, and, and we would just hang out there. Like it was literally was my second dorm room. And that was ultimately like, we called it the Sweet 200. We have a Facebook group, the Sweet 200. Like it's, it's like a cult basically, nerds. <laughs> 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 and um, it's so funny now because going to Bowie, it's everywhere. Like the nerd culture, what was once something that was like so secluded and you know, we had to like have a secret society for it is now kind of everywhere. But the beauty of being in that space was I got to be my full self at all times. I didn't have to compartmentalize my blackness. I didn't have to compartmentalize my geekness or any other quirk about me who make that makes me who I am. Um, they just accepted me for all of my flaws and all of my weirdness and all of my boldness. Um, And that was something that I've really come to appreciate. And I'm proud to say that um, most of those people, in fact, the three people I just named are actually a part of my executive board. And um, it's really just a labor of love. And um, and Conn, in that essence, has really been years in the making for me, if not a lifetime in the making. Mm-hmm. And then, shoot, I did a lot at Bowie. I had to. I still haven't tapped into alternative spring break or pledging or nothing. Um, <laughs> so, of course, there's the aspect of um, alternative spring break, and that's its own, um, you know, journey that I had. And then um, my journey into Delta. So um, it's just been a wild ride, and I'm just so thankful for the for that experience because it really opened my eyes. Um, Not just the HBCU experience, but Alternative Spring Break was a very profound experience in itself and continues to be because they revived the program in 2019. But also my experience and the lessons I've learned in Delta has been very Mm -hmm. profound and continues to be profound um, as an alumni soror. So yeah.
0: Yeah, we're definitely gonna ask you a little bit about that. But before we get there, (laughs) for viewers out there who might be watching, like me, who are not as familiar with the Greek life and what it's all about. Can you tell us like, what are the different organizations
2: and like some of the things that they're known for? Absolutely. So the Panhellenic, National Panhellenic Council also known as the Divine Nine is made up of nine major black Greek letter organizations also known as BGLOs. And the first of which, or the oldest of which I should say was founded in 1906. That's Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Um, So I guess if I go down the line, it's Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity, Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority, Um, (coughs) shoot, Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity, Omega Psi Phi Fraternity, Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, Phi Beta, of course, they're all incorporated. I just had to hype it up. Phi Beta Sigma fraternity, <laughs> Incorporated um, Zeta Phi Beta sorority, um, Sigma Gamma Rose sorority, and Iota Phi Theta fraternity. So just a really well-rounded, um, and all of us, you know, have diff- various principles, various initiatives that we kind of focus on. One particular thing that I enjoy about Delta is that it has a five pro- five-point programmatic thrust. So it's very well rounded in terms of its um, of its servitude, you know, like economic development, educational development, political awareness and involvement, environmental awareness and involvement, and physical and mental health. So I, that was something that was very appealing to me—the fact that it was just so well rounded. <clears throat> and then you have uh, um, organizations like Sigma Gamma Rho, where they were founded by teachers, so they focus heavily on education. Um, And I actually would recommend to our audience, if you want to learn more, there's a really good book called The Divine Nine, and it was written by Lawrence Ross, who is my friend on Facebook. And he's a really good um, professor based in California. He's an alpha and he does um, public speaking events talking about racism on campus. So um, Mm -hmm. he has a really good book mm -hmm, and it's a chapter for each organization. And it's a really good place to start. Like, if you don't, you know, if you're just like a deer in the headlights, like I was when I first, (laughs) when I first went to school.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. I'm going to check that out. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
1: Now, okay. Some talk about, of course, you hear about sororities and fraternities about, the colorism, the stereotypes, the aging, and more than uh, it that separates women in the different yes. sororities along with their peers. Yes. What made you decide to become a Delta Sigma Theta and what makes it stand out for you?
2: Yeah. Um, and I think that I'm so glad that you brought that up because there are like those things did happen. It's not like, um, and it's not exclusive to. No organization is a vacuum, right? Every ism that we encounter in our society, you can pretty much bank on finding it in any you know realm of, of life, and especially when it comes to these organizations that are so um so vast and have it and have histories that extend well over you know a hundred years. So it is unfortunate that you know colorism was a thing, and part of it is that um, there was a lot of colorism amongst like HBCU admissions as well, even when Howard University was founded, they would only let um, what they refer to as mulattoes attend because they thought that since they had white DNA, that they were more likely to succeed. And they put the campus, they, they um, built the campus so that the students would have to walk uphill to go to class because they thought that they would be too lazy to walk <laughs> to walk to class. So like all, di- you know, it, it runs very deep in terms of, um, you know, all the colorism, homophobia, and all of the really um, aftermath of white supremacy that has um, infiltrated the Black community and, and other marginalized communities as well. So um, I'm like making sure I hit all the points and stuff. <laughs> so and as far <laughs> as there, there's definitely like stereotypes. And I think part of that is just the, the um, symbols and principles like deltas We're known for being like, um like wild and extra (laughs) and the aka's are like known for being like very you know refined and poised and stuff And (laughs) so there's definitely those stereotypes and of course we're known for like step shows everybody knows the step shows and um Mm -hmm. the community service and the aspects of that often gets um left out of the arena but some of the fact of the matter is, is that some of the greatest, most iconic people of, and figures of all time have matriculated through these organizations, and many of them did it by their own choice. You know, like Dorothy Height pledged. You know, Martin Luther King went. You know, became an alpha on his own accord. Um, all these you know, various um, icons. Who and and not only that, but the organizations themselves. Led initiatives and and led bus you know sit-ins, led bus boycotts, you know, um, and particularly with Delta Sigma Theta, the 1913 suffrage march in Washington D.C. I believe Woodrow Wilson was president at the time, but that was the first public act that my founders did as a sorority was to participate in that march, and they had to get special permission from the university, because at that time you could not leave campus without a male escort. So there was Mm -hmm. that, you know, so like it's the intersectionality of it is crazy when you read about it. So, (laughs) so you could, so they had to get, you know special permission to, um, to leave campus and they had to have a male escort. And then once they got to the march, the women who led the movement, who of course were pretty much all exclusively um, white told them that they had to march in the back of the procession. And um, you know, the the black women who marched in that um, that day were spat on. They were called racial slurs. You know, they were pretty much humiliated. But it's crazy because they they didn't turn them away because they wanted the numbers. You know, they wanted the optics of it to look good. Like, oh, look at how big our movement is. So it's it's that that long history of um of white feminism that, that my founders faced you know coming up in college that is just so um you know indicative of what we of the things that we see today. Mm. Wow. Yeah. That's what, was, that's what I said. How much of history is it's so hidden.
1: Yeah. So much of PLC and um and black women history is so hidden from most people's view that you don't realize that how the additional suffrage that so many of them went through that we don't even hear about unless you did the extra study or somebody told you about it.
2: Exactly. Yep. That's a fact. That is a fact. Yeah. And interestingly enough, I think it's also very telling that like if you read up on our founders, for example, um, you know, Some of them we know a lot about and then some of them we don't know much about because they all came from different backgrounds. Some of them had, you know, some of them came from, uh, you know, wealthy families. Some of them came from families that weren't, you know, and um, there were some of them who died young. Um, So it's very interesting how that um, plays out. But one thing that I do that I am thankful for for Black Greek letter organizations as a whole is that they have really um, facilitated kind of like documenting our history. Um, And of course there are other individuals who've taken that on their own accord, W.E.B. Du Bois being one of them who, if I'm not mistaken is also a member of Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity. So there you go, it's like, it's all connected. It's all connected. And Carter G. Woodson is a member of Omega Psi Phi like Carter G. Woodson, the founder of Black History Month is my frat brother. You know, and that's yeah. that's something that makes me very proud to say.
1: Mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, yeah, I
0: definitely love the pride in the in the you know the different organizations and and the historical and educational aspects to it. That's that's mm-hmm. amazing. Oh yeah. Uh, so you you we mentioned a little bit earlier that you founded a program at Bowie State called Alterni- Alternative. Again, here I am with this word spring Tell us a little bit about that. What was the program's mission and what were you able to accomplish?
2: No worries. And the, and the kids call it ASB now, you know, everything's an acronym with them. So, <laughs> but, um, that was such a interesting journey because they had, so our campus had, a um, an organization on the yard called Baptist Campus Ministries. And I didn't know that it was there up until I saw a flyer that was advertising the Alternative Spring Break mission. And Hurricane Katrina had happened in 2005, but this was advertising for a trip in 2007. And I was like, "Oh, I didn't even think they still needed relief." But you know, two years later, <laughs> which is crazy. But um, okay, you know, I've never been to New Orleans. I love, you know, serving the community. And I coerced (laughs) my friend Louisa into going with me because I'm like, please don't let me do this by myself. (laughs) And um, (laughs) we went and it was like a straight mission trip. Like when we arrived in New Orleans um, and it was about 10 Bowie students. So it was a joint group. It was 10 Bowie students, about 40 or so students from the University of Maryland. And then there were also some students from Anne Arundel Community College. So um, we, when we got to New Orleans, you would have thought that the hurricane hit like a week ago, like wow. sands the water, you know. Um, it was just like still whole, prod. you know, complexes leveled and the, the, the debris was still there. Um, you would walk in, you know, through neighborhoods and all the houses were marked with numbers and the numbers all meant different things. One number meant how many bodies were found, one Mm -hmm. number meant this, like it was crazy. Um, And um, when we went for the first time, we were basically doing like Habitat for Humanity stuff. There were houses that had not been touched since um, since the storm hit And they divided us into two groups where some of us were building homes and the rest of us were gutting homes. So I was on the team that was gutting homes. And um, we actually got to meet the woman whose home we gutted. Her name was Miss Bernice. And the stories that we heard, you know, and the thing that got me most about it was the, the division in the stories that you've heard. And a lot of it was based on race. Like you would hear some of the most horrible things Coming from, um, coming from the black community about stuff that was happening in New Orleans. I mean, everything from, you know, how long it took for help to arrive and they're sitting on their roof, you know, for however long they need to, until help gets there to whole, you know, conspiracies about execu- that have been validated about executions that have happened, um, you know, all sorts of things, awful things happening inside the Astrodome and they, would, they separated families inside the Astrodome. They divided them up, men, women, and kids. So like some of the children were sexually assaulted in the Astrodomes, like it's crazy. Um, and it was just really an eye-opening experience. And at that point, it was like resources were still like running water was a commodity at that point. We had to shower, we stayed at a church and we slept on the floor in sleeping bags and um, we had to shower in a trailer and we all had a maximum of seven minutes to shower. So I was just like, okay, we we're out here roughing it. You know, um, I'm sure this is nothing to someone who's served in the military, but, <laughs> but you know, for for a first world it's rough. So, <laughs> um, well, not, I don't say first world, I'll say uh, developed world, I guess, whatever you want to call it. But at any rate, it was just, Interesting coming from D.C. where we have among some of the highest GDPs in the country and we don't really want for anything in terms of like resources um, as as a city, I guess. But when you go to New Orleans, when you go to places like New Orleans and I've um, done work in the Mississippi Delta area as well. And um, it's just like going back. It was like going back in time. It really was. And um and I mean that in terms of like the the culture and um in term like the race relations specifically and um you know just the infrastructure. Um, but I don't. It, it wasn't all bad. I, I instantly fell in love with New Orleans. Um, we <laughs> the funny thing about it was is because we were with a mission group. They weren't really trying to let us. They let us go to the French Quarter um on one night and then. God bless them, you know, they were like, well, you know, that place is kind of like full of sin and we don't really want you guys to go back down there. And, and me and my friends from Bowie we were, and this one guy named Ryan, who was from Anne Arundel, we were like, screw this. And I found the bus route. <laughs> I found the public bus route to get us downtown. <laughs> So the French Quarter and we went down there and had a good time like you know and they couldn't tell us we couldn't do it because we're adults you know so they're just like all right just please don't die you know <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was very interesting and then I think the the most eye-opening thing about it was also seeing the the difference in reactions and reflections from the volunteers Um, Mm -hmm. as well, like you could tell that some of them just had never had any, some of them were in denial, you know, like, um, one of my, um, sorors who was on the trip with me, I wasn't a Delta at the time, but she was, and, um, she actually is gonna, she's actually gonna be on a panel for the national council of Negro women, but I digress. Um, so there was a guy on our, on our van who said that, yeah, um, racism isn't like a thing anymore <laughs> like legit came out and said and this is in 2007 okay <laughs> this is in 2007 it's like think about where we are now and this guy was talking about some yeah racism isn't like a thing anymore and my um my mentor or my sorority sister um ashley who grew up in north carolina and oddly enough grew up in north carolina in the same neighborhood that my grandmother lives in um But she was just like, I'm from North Carolina and I can tell you that racism is still alive and well. Um, So that was just very interesting. All in that one trip, and this is before ASB was even started, right? So I came Mm -hmm. back, I came back from New Orleans um, anxious. I had so many mixed feelings. And I was like, you know, I fell in love with the city and I wanted to continue to do the work. But there were certain things with with the groups that we were with that kind of like turned me off to that experience. And I'm like, well, no wonder, you know, we don't, you know, have the numbers that, that I feel like we should. And when we were in New Orleans that first year, Howard University was there and they had like 300 people, 300 students there. So I'm looking at them and that was when it hit me. And I'm like, why can't Bowie do that? Well, I can't mm-hmm. believe that, you know, so I got back, I immediately went to the director of the honor student organization, Dr. Monica Gross, and um, and she's still there, love her to death. Um, and then she referred me to now retired vice president of student affairs. Well, he's not retired, he's at Frostburg now. Um, but he was the vice president of student affairs at that time, Dr. Artie Travis. And once she connected me to him, it was like the rest, was history essentially. Um, he and I pretty much planned the first official trip by ourselves. Um, and then that subsequent year, I had a, a committee, you know, of, I had a student committee. So it was really cool to see that. And then actually, the year I graduated, um, I won the Presidential Student Leadership Award for the work that I did um, and, and for starting that organization. And that was an award that was traditionally given to the president of the SGA because they were the ones who did the most work. You know? <laughs> so that was just really cool um, to have had that experience. And of course, you know, it ultimately influenced and solidified my desire to pledge Delta and my desire to make a life of, of helping people and particularly um, marginalized people and black people.
1: Mm-hmm. Very nice, very nice.
2: Yes, ma'am. Now,
1: now, um, of course, you mentioned a little bit at the beginning, uh, but tell us about your first experience attending a fan convention and what it was
2: like playing for the first time. Okay, So I'm like, oh, my gosh. Okay, so my first fan convention was in 2015. It was actually Baltimore Comic Con. That was the same con con that I first met the lovely uh, Moana at. I think it was 2016 that you and I met, however. Um, But 2015, um, I had just started a new job. And so I had a little disposable income and cosplay was something that I had always wanted to do. And there was a show that came on a few years prior to that, called Heroes of Cosplay on Sci Fi. And mm-hmm. I just fell in love with that. Me and my best friend were roommates at the time, Aaron. And Aaron and I fell in love with this show. We fell in love with Yaya Han, who was just, you know, like Yaya Han was just like this wonderful person. And she's like, what can't she do? Um, yeah. <laughs> and it was just really cool and, and Aaron and I, we were just sitting there in our rooms like with this pipe dream like one day we're gonna do this and you know, we're gonna be cool just like them <laughs> so um, I just decided I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it mm-hmm. and I went to Spirit Halloween and um, I bought a Black Widow Age of Ultron costume and my um friend Emily who I went to high school with, she was the one who kind of first told me about it. And she, we were like 16 and she's like, yo, there's these conventions and there's geeks. And she's like, um, these geeks, they get together and then they geek out. And then at night they party and then they just have wild parties. And some of it, sometimes they do other stuff too. And I'm like, okay, I don't want to know about all that. It's a bit much. <laughs> and like, I'm 16, this is a little too adult for me, but it sounds really cool. I want to try this one day. So Emily joined me as well as my dear friends, um, Brian and Tracy. And we just walked around the convention halls and it was so striking to me because people were asking to take my picture. And I'm like, y'all wanna take a picture of this? Like, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, and I know, but what I noticed was that most of the people who asked to take my picture looked like me and looked like members of my family. So I'm like, hmm maybe there's something to this. Maybe there's some sort of importance or significance to someone looking like me walking around in these costumes. And i it's funny because I ran into one other uh, black, black widow throughout that whole weekend. And I took a picture of her, she was with Nick Fury. And um, I love that picture, but it was just like, Going from that to like finding the one other black woman who was like cosplaying my character, to now, if I go to a convention cosplaying as any of my characters, I'm going to see multiple black women in the same costume nine times out of 10. And that's just really the beautiful thing about it is seeing how big and how vast the blur community has become, um, you know, over the years. So, yeah. I know it's a long-winded response, but... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <Love it. laughs>
0: no, that's really, really cool to hear. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, you've you've come a long way since your, your first con. And um, a few years ago, you came up with the idea for HBCU Con. Mm-hmm. What inspired you to create it? And what are some of the goals that you have for um, your event?
2: Yeah, awesome. It's so funny that you uh, mentioned that because I think... By the time I had gone, by the time I finished Baltimore Comic Con, like my first con, I was already starting to like conceptualize what it would be like to have a convention that that reflected who I am as a person in that sense, like the HBCU, you know, the geek or in the Greek and all those various things. And at first I was like, oh, maybe I'll have a Greeks and Geeks convention where we can sell like Greek paraphernalia and nerd paraphernalia. And we can like talk about how um, there are actual like nerds who were part of like uh, um, Martin Luther King was a huge Star Trek fan, huge Star (laughs) Trek fan who convinced actually convinced Michelle Nichols to stay on the show when she was considering leaving for Broadway because Broadway was more her bag at the time. So, but just, um, now I lost my train of thought because I love Michelle Nichols so much. But um, (laughs) it's it's just been, in terms of founding HBCUCon, it was something that I had immediately thought of or, or begun to conceptualize when I started cosplaying. And then um, I think by the end of 2017, that was when I was like, oh, HBCU like, of course, like I, I couldn't come up with a name for it to save my life, but I knew that I wanted this thing to happen. And what really made it click for me was when I was looking back on my life and, um, and I, always kept going back to the Sweet 200. You know, my group at Bowie State, where we would watch, you know, our favorite shows and play our favorite video games, but we could also talk about politics. We could also talk about race issues. We could also talk about our personal issues amongst each other. And I decided um, that I was going to recreate that space on a grand scale. I, I made up my mind that every black person deserves to have the feeling of affirmation and comfort that I got when I went to the Sweet Two Hundred, and mm-hmm. and I still get when I when I talk to them, you know, and when I when I um you know lean on them for help. So I feel like having had that experience and me being an HBCU grad, and um on top of that has just really affirmed who I am as a person to the point where um you know i'll talk to people who didn't go to an hbcu and they're like man it's just something about y'all like y'all just got a whole aura about y'all where it's like you know you're you're that person like you know who you are and no one can tell you differently um and that's just something that i really want to recreate that unapologetic blackness but also living fully into your geekness because when i was coming up you know um, even going back to my childhood. My mom named me after Star Trek. Like my mom named me after Shauna of Triskelion. She was in the original Star Trek series. She had green hair and she came from a planet where they wore collars around their necks because they weren't allowed to show like a bunch of emotion because they felt like emotions were the root of all problems, right? So um, she, that was like her character. So like my mom's a huge Star Trek fan, huge sci-fi. She was watching X-Files. She was watching um, even recently Game of Thrones, True Blood is her show, Lovecraft Country is her show. Um, My dad loves Star Wars. And he was also like constantly watching the History Channel. So it was like a perfect blend of, you know, really nurturing my geekness and the various fandoms, but also nurturing my love of history and academia and black culture as well. So I say all that to say that I grew up in a world where being black and being a geek were never mutually exclusive. It was never mutually exclusive. In fact, it was very much, um, you know, intertwined and one and the same. And that's, and, and you know, Moana and I have talked about this several times, like people once came to Africa to study, like Africa was the Mecca, literally, of education and enlightenment. And it's just, um, I think that the more we can really echo that and amplify that, that um, we can really change the world. As as, as cliche as it sounds, um, that's what I believe.
1: Awesome. Yes, definitely. Now, um, on a different kind of topic, um, I always grew up with my aunt saying that every person needs their board. This is their network of people that's on your level or above to push you and to help you grow on your desired path. Do you have that professional, and of course, your con? Slash Cosplay Board and how did you figure out which people were the, the right people to be placed on that board?
2: Ooh, that was probably the hardest part, right? Um, <laughs> and, and not just the, on the board, but just around me, period. Yeah, you know, because mm-hmm. um, that is so like you think that you think that your personal stuff isn't going to transcend. <laughs> To your, to your perfect, but it does. Like that's all we, we all know when we go to work, what do our coworkers do? They come to work and project their issues on us. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's all they do, whether it's good or bad. <laughs> so yeah. like, that was something that I really had to um, to recognize was boundaries and, and recognizing that as much as I want to, I can't take everybody with me and um, yeah. Or or if I do, there, there may be a certain capacity in which they, you know, some people have, everybody's got their, their role, right? Um, so, and, and some, you know, we all have friends, some are closer than others. And some of them are just strictly professional. Um, I'm the type of person where I'm very warm and fuzzy. So it always helps when we have a personal relationship. Um, and the people who I do the most business with, because we're always conversing and stuff, um, I make it a point to like check in on them and be like, "Hey, how you doing?" And they they do the same for me. And it, I think it made for a more um, a much more receptive um, relationship where we listen to each other and um, and respect each other's thoughts. And and even like Moana and you, Dana, as well. You two are, are part of that board, like legit. So um, and I um, I guess if you want me to name names, I could do. That. <laughs> I have Marcus, (laughs) I got Marcus and Louisa, Um, my best friend, Aaron, like even my best friend helps, you know, she works for Prince George's County Schools. So, um, you know, she's done a lot to like really look out for me and in that nature as well. But I think that like having people in your corner who Mm -hmm. genuinely care about you, you know, not just your organization, not just what you're doing because if they become attached to what you're doing then there's that fine line of using you and Mm -hmm. um and when it comes to that it's like okay there it's there's no mutual yoking they're just kind of like taking whatever they can get from you and they're not Mm -hmm. really going to give you anything back unless they feel like they have to um and though i just that doesn't really work well for me. I don't like forcing things. Um, so, you know, and I've, I've mature, I've been, you know, I'm only, I'm 33. I have, I'm not trying to sound like some wise old woman or anything, but I've (laughs) been around enough to know that it's just that important to have people who really care about you. And even though some people might be useful, it's important to, um, if they're if they're in that category where they're just trying to use you, it's important to like keep them in a place where they can't like compromise your yeah. your well being and your yeah. your sanity. Because I've you know that was something that was very profound. Something that I you know really internalized was that I will give this all away before I go crazy. I will give yeah. this all away before I go crazy, and um and that was why it was so important. And um, and I really just had to like lean on my friends and be like, Hey, you know, I know that you got a lot going on, you got a job, you got a kid, you got this, that, and the third. But our experience at the Sweet 200 is what inspired me to create this movement, so I need you involved, like, I need you involved in this. And um, and you know, all the cosplayers and stuff who I've um, found in this community, like Wendell, who's Wendell Smith, who is our vice president, and he's just like. Shout wow. out Wendell. <laughs> yeah. it fun- and it's funny. And it's funny because it's like when I'm when he became vice president, I'm like, of course, of course it's you. <laughs> you know, you just been sitting here all this time just waiting for me to just wake up. And so um <laughs> ever since then, and of course, Wendell's a marine, so he compliments me so well in terms of like making sure that everybody's tight. You know, every that we have an agenda, this is what we're gonna do, <laughs> you know, and delegating. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm terrible. Like, I'm better. I promise I'm better now. But like, I'm hyper independent. I'm like, I'm gonna do it all myself because this is my baby and no one else is responsible for this but me, you know. <laughs> but Wendell has done a really great job of, um, mm-hmm. helping me, like, get it together <laughs> as the CEO. And I also want to shout out, um, just as important as my mentors, um, Ian Friend, my publicist, who um, he's great. um, So four things I would highly recommend any entrepreneur has, right? When you're starting a business, you need a publicist, you need a Mm -hmm. lawyer, Mm -hmm. you need an accountant. (laughs) And there was one other thing, I can't remember what it is. (laughs) You need a publicist, a lawyer, an accountant. And I think that those are like the big three. (laughs) Definitely make sure you have that in check. Um, But also as equally important as having mentors, um, you gotta have a mentee, you know? And um, that was something that I've, that has been even more of a journey. Cause it's like, you you think disappointing your mentors is bad? the thought, the thought of disappointing a mentee (laughs) is something that haunts me almost every minute of my life, you know, (laughs) and they're so precious. Tyra Harrison, who is our director of marketing, she's our social media manager, and she just graduated from Bowie State in December of 2019. And then we have Olatunde Floyd, who is our program coordinator, Um, and also just a slew, I feel like I could really talk for a full hour talking about who all my mentors are. Um, Professor Teod, I really wanna highlight Professor Teodros Makeshua though from um, Bowie State University because he really like was a godsend in terms of helping us get the resources to actually secure space and to secure a partnership with Bowie State's um, Uh, Department of Fine Arts, Fine and Performing Arts. And even prior to that, he was chair of the Visual Communication and Digital Media Arts Program. So we initially partnered with them and then he just recently got promoted to chair of the Fine Arts Department. So now we're working in conjunction with the entire department. And it's just a really beautiful thing. And actually we have a panel coming up on the 24th. Um, Our flyer is gonna drop soon. But we're going to have a panel and it's a part of Bowie State University's official Black History Month celebration, um, which is, gonna, which is facilitated by their history department. But the history department is working in conjunction with all the departments and stuff. So we're going to be presenting a different world HBCU Geeks on February 24th. That's a Thursday. And I believe it's going to be at 6 o'clock. Don't quote me on the time though, but it's definitely going to be on the 24th. <laughs> So it's just been a wild ride in terms of um of like all the relationships I have made and I think that that's something that's so important like I don't have a lot of money, you know what I mean? Um I'm not I'm not, you know, there so a lot of people are like well, what do you got to do to start a con? What do you need to start a con? And the answer is usually money because let's face it, you need money to do anything. But um if you don't have a lot of money, <laughs> right, right. But it's like but if you don't have a lot of money and even if you do you know it shouldn't um it shouldn't dictate how you treat people but yeah. your the relationships that you build are paramount it is yeah, paramount yeah. to your success um and like the, the the things that i've done and the relationships that i've built and the random acts of kindness that i have shown people come back like even if it's like 10 years later like it always circles back to you and you just never know who's in your corner waiting to support you and it's like all you gotta do is build it all you gotta do is build it and they will come
0: yeah i totally agree with that so because of your equality views along with being a black woman cosplaying you've dealt with your share of keyboard warriors and toxic people (laughs) (laughs) in cosplay and the con world yes Um, ma'am As well as social media too. Yes. How have you been able to deal with the
2: toxicity and make your own mark in the space? Wow.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Uh And I think even more importantly um, than than equality, equity is something that I've learned to like really differentiate. Like I was very equality, equality, equality up until I started doing nonprofit work. I'm like, nah. Equity's where it's at, you know? <laughs> so, um, but in terms of like, of course, as we talked before, no is a vacuum every, no matter where you go, you know? So I don't want people to be deterred from the cosplay community because of whatever rumors you may have heard um, or what have you about the community, because no matter where you go, it's going to be some stuff. <laughs> it's going to be some stuff. Um Absolutely. Yeah, and it was a it was definitely a challenge for me at first because I'm somebody who takes a lot of pride in um and you know how I treat people and I take a lot of pride in my integrity and being kind of like painted in a way that doesn't fall in line with who you feel like you are is kind of like traumatizing a little bit especially when it's done in a in a large forum um and you you kind of like see people who you thought you thought cared about you or thought you could trust kind of like alienate you. And that hurts, you know, it does like, it hurts. I got feelings. Shit. It hurts. Uh, (laughs) um, But I've had to like learn like one, when, when all those things begun to happen, I immediately took a step back. I immediately took a step back and I begun to lean a little heavily on my friends outside of the community. And I think mm-hmm. that that kind of, and not even just my friends outside of the the um, the geek community, but particularly outside of the cosplay community, because there's levels to it, right? Um, like Moana is a member of the geek community. You guys are members of the geek community, but Dana mm-hmm. and I are members of the cosplay community, because we actually cosplay. Mm-hmm. And there's there's the difference um, in, in the ways in which I've interacted with people who are cosplayers versus people who are um, writers. And and of course there's overlap among those groups as well. Um, and not to say that one group's better than the other because I've, I've encountered trash on all sides. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think that like me taking a step back and, and kind of like having conversations with people outside of the cosplay community, really put things into perspective one. And then two, I started going to therapy. But well, I started going to therapy in 2017. And um, that in of itself was a very, very, that was that was life saving. Like I say to this day, therapy saved my life. Like it really did. And, um, and having a black woman therapist, even on top of that was just like, Oh my God, where have you been my whole life? So to those (laughs) who have the resources, I, I don't care what issues you have or think you don't have, like even if it's just a check in every couple of months, Get a therapist, like please get a therapist. There, um, it's it's been a wonderful experience. Now, it wasn't all pretty and and fun, you know. I had to face a lot of my own stuff, you know, and like the ways in which I allowed things to happen, or thing, or ways in which I contributed to you know making a bad situation worse. Or because um, I'm not perfect, I'm not gonna sit here and try to pretend like oh I didn't, you know. I'm I'm I've never made mistakes in my life. I've done things that I'm not proud of. Um, and yeah. said things that I'm not proud of. But at the same time, you know, I also recognize that the, even with all of my flaws, the person who I was back then didn't deserve that. And um, and I say, I, I wanna echo that because I know that there are other people in the community who feel the same way. Um, yeah. So just try to like, my whole thing was once I took a step back and I reflected, I'm like, do I really still want to be a part of this community? Cause that's what my my therapist. That was one of the first things she said. She's like, do you even want to be a part? She's like, it sounds messy. But <laughs> <And> I'm like, <laughs> you know, when I thought about it, I'm like, this is kind of like what this community has kind of been something I've been waiting for my whole life. So yeah. if I'm gonna stay here, if I'm gonna, you know, stay in this community, then I wanna make sure that I make a mark in it. And that um, you know, really honing in on on the ability to create a space in the way that I envisioned it, in the way in that I envisioned how cosplayers should be treated, or the way that I envisioned how um, how our blackness, you know, should be presented or not presented, um, you know, just really kind of resonated with me, and I was just that was something that was paramount to me. So I'm like, if I'm gonna stay in this community, then I want to make sure that I am a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. And um, that was when I ultimately started HBCUCon. And um, I'm just thankful to have a good mix. Like, we have a good mix of cosplayers, but we also have geeks who are both engaged and not engaged in the community. Um, so it just really makes for a very well rounded team. And um, yeah, just, just, constantly and even now like i vent you know if i have issues whether it's pro- professional or personal i have people who i call like immediately like my publicist is someone who i call i'm like all right what should i do <laughs> um or or nurian Moana, uh, Moana are people who i call like i'm facebook messaging like all right you know or even if it's just a distraction you know like yeah. i'll them up and be like hey how can i help you because y'all are people who i believe in y'all are people who i know that you know will will you know appreciate the work that not only appreciate the work that's done but do it in a way that um you know kind of aids to helping the community more than just like you're just trying to make money off of it Um, so and, and same with you dana you know as well like when you were i remember you being there like anytime i'm in atlanta you're always there and you're always like working hard black geeks of dragon con you know and and like really admiring both of you as photographers as well because there aren't a lot of women photographers in this community especially women of color so um just it's it's been crazy (laughs) like all the stuff but um looking back on it i I really don't think I would change a thing because um, it's like I'm here now and I'm just so, I feel so blessed to have come this far that I just can't, I can't stop now. You know, I just, I can't. Mm
1: -hmm. Definitely. Now, um, another thing that us women have to deal with is oftentimes, women have to deal with doubt of their geek side because it's the preconceived notion that women only say they like these things It's either for clout or because of a guy. How do you try to beat this notion that continues to be echoed not only within the geek space
2: but especially those that are, are Black geeks
1: Mm-hmm. that's what we're yeah, to hear
2: it the most. Yes, we do, and I definitely think th- uh, that you you're right. And particularly from, it's kind of unfortunate because, like, if you were t- to compare like my, one of us with a white woman geek, then we're more than likely going to probably have our card pulled. Um yeah. So even by our own people, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is crazy. So. <laughs> You know, but that's something that I've con- like, even when I first came out as a cosplayer, people tried to um, discredit me because I was a Delta. And that just did not compute for me at all. I'm like, but the, the benchmark of being a, a member of this organization is academic success. <laughs> like, I didn't understand. <laughs> like, What do you mean? Like, how is this house not the same? So um, and then. Um, because i guess because of how i look, you know, like people just people just always find a way to size you up. Um yeah. no matter who you are. And i think that that's mm-hmm. something that i really just want people like, you know, no matter what it is, you know, if it's if it's like lack of body positivity and people fat shaming or whatever or, you mm-hmm. know, in my case like um, you know, especially once i lost weight, i got hypersexualized, you know, a lot. And i actually got uh I actually got kind of sexually assaulted at my first convention experience by a vendor, um, you know, who like put his hand a little too low on my back when he asked to take a picture. And then he was like, Oh, um, the picture didn't take, can we do it again? And then he did it again. So it was like, Mm -hmm. you know, and I, and I was like petrified in that moment. And I wound up reporting him after the fact. So, um, but it was just, you know, the misogyny in the community is something that, quite frankly, I have never encountered this level. <laughs> and I think part of it is also because it's it's really adjacent to the entertainment industry. Um, but I've just never, and I guess I've been spoiled too because I also worked in the feminist movement, so there's that. But um, just never really encountered that level of, of like constantly doubting me because of my gender. I've been doubted because of my race all my mm-hmm. life. You know? <laughs> but not never so much because of my gender, Um, you know? And that was just something that was very odd to me because when I was coming up in school, uh, all the way through college, I was literally labeled a nerd. Like literally, they're like, no, you're a nerd. There's nothing you can do about it, sorry. And and then once I joined the nerd community, they're like, no, you're not. I'm like, but I thought, (laughs) but the evidence is here, I thought, you know? So, um, that's something that again, why I think it's so paramount for um women like us to create these spaces because it's like I'm the CEO of HBCUCon at the end of the day, and I can assure that that you know that that won't happen at my events, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, or at least if it does, I can actively do something to stop it, um, yeah. you know, and um, yeah, it's just that's something that I really hope continues to change over the years, because we really do like women consume. We are the top consumers in pretty much every industry. And I'm sure the geek industry is not like, even if we're not the leaders in consumption, we're probably pretty uh, substantial. So yeah. you can't like just dismiss half the human population <laughs> and say that we're, we're inauthentic. And then the clout thing is just weird to me. Like being a nerd nerd, has only become cool, like it's, it's still not even really cool. Like they like the costumes, but but they don't really, um, you know, unless you're like into the culture, they don't care about it other than that. They think we look cool, but you know, they don't recognize like Yu Yu Hakushao and they don't recognize Sailor Mars. I've been called Wonder Woman every time I wear a Sailor Mars costume outside of a convention. And I'm like, they don't look, okay, whatever. So, (laughs) but, you know, um, I just think that it's so important for us to recognize that and particularly in the black and uh, communities and indigenous communities, because we're all we got. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's kind of just unfortunate to see that. And again, and then there's that element of like usefulness as well. Like, oh, okay. You know, it looks good to have a black woman you know, echoing our narrative, or it looks good to have a, to post a black woman here to say these things, but then you don't really follow through on it. And it makes that person look ridiculous. (laughs) And then it makes, it also makes you look ridiculous because it's like, wait, you know, y'all said that you were about X, but you're not really like showing that. And that happens, Mm -hmm. you know, in a variety of different ways. So, um, yeah, man, we got to we gotta really lift up women's voices. And I don't think that that's going to much um, grow or change until we start taking control of our own spaces. And I just, yeah. um, and there are women in the community who are doing that. You know, Regine Sawyer, Women in Comics Collective, Women in Comics Con up in New York, and um, Erica Hardison, who's the founder of Fabulized Magazine. And she has meetups in New York called um, My Superheroes Are Black. And, um, you know, and Dana, the the stuff that you do in Atlanta, you know, working with Jabbar and cosplay your way, my dear friend Tallin Kell, who does, you know, she did um she was doing the the like fashion shows and like body positivity yeah. stuff and added cosplay elements and then she did this the space between uh video project as well. Yeah. So there are definitely um black women, indigenous women, um, you know, kicking ass and taking names, if you don't mind my saying so. But um, it's important that we like continue to support them and put our money where our mouth is as well. Yeah. Um, that's so important. Yeah. You
0: just said an entire someone, word.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and someone said in our comments,
1: which Moana posted up that the one of the biggest things is they, they a lot of people tend to say women don't know what we're talking about and mm-hmm. we
2: just cosplay for attention. Right. <laughs> right, which, which is crazy to me, you know. Like, we're um, not getting paid for this. I, I
1: just spent hundreds of dollars on this cosplay, and I'm just doing this for attention, you know, and I'm not getting $1 off of me cosplaying. I'm not a model. I'm not getting paid by Marvel to dress up as,
2: Let you me know, tell black you. <laughs> I got accused of that. When we did Dragon Con in 2019, um, there was a viral picture of myself um beautiful yes, disaster, the three of you. Yes, beautiful I disaster. yep kai ash black and then mm-hmm. um i uh, can't think of it i'm like i know this person beautiful d- oh and jay hey jay cosplay mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. um <laughs> yeah and, and we got accused of being paid models at the yeah. C- I spent a lot of money to be a Dragon Con. You know? exactly. <laughs> the badges are not cheap, and I still had to come up. I still had to get my costume together and everything. Mm-hmm. And it was just wild to me, Um, because it went viral. People loved the yes. picture. And because everywhere. the picture went viral, it just
1: got that negativity. And it's like, yeah. the picture went viral. People love the picture, but then it's always those people that come out the corners of, of nowhere, and it's like, yes. oh. They're just, you know, they were placed there. Oh, yeah. they're just doing it for attention. And it's right. like, do you know how hot Dragon Con is in August?
2: <laughs> it is is. for attention. Very and this just outside, not inside, right. it's outside. <laughs> right, right. If it, if it was staged, we would have had a nice backdrop, you know, that would have been branded like Dragon Con here, you know what I'm saying? That's a stage shoot, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but not, a fan blowing, a fan blowing you, know, right. cool you know, know, All this going on. <laughs> but no, Um, I think it's like, you know, you, this. If you yourself, as a black man or indigenous man or whatever can can be a nerd and genuinely enjoy it, then it's like why couldn't your um, female or non, or you know non-binary counterparts do the same thing? That's just mm. you know, and I think part of that is just the overall dehumanization of women as well and, um, and, and queer and non-binary folks. That, you know, we couldn't possibly just be human and, and have hobbies <laughs> and have interests. So um, really just unpacking that um, yeah. on, on a human level, because that's ultimately, you know, where we're at. And, uh, and I'm thankful for my experiences as an activist, because I was able to quickly identify those, com- those um, dynamics within the community. All righty. So let's
0: wrap it up with one last question. Um, What does being a hero mean to you? And what is it like having your very own heroine character in a comic book series?
2: Yeah. Oh my gosh. So HBCU con has four core values, right? Art, culture, scholarship, and integrity. And out of all those integrity is probably the one that I hold up the highest Because without integrity, all of those other three things fall through the cracks. Um, And that was just to be a hero. Integrity is the the core value of being a hero, like doing the right thing, not what's convenient, you know, not what's going to get you a personal gain in that moment or in the long run but what is really like the moral and just thing to do in this situation? And um, and again, like equity over equality, you know, we're like e- equality is saying, okay, you know, we all like this, there's, there's nine slices of pizza. So equality says that the three of us will get three slices each, right? But mm-hmm. equity says, Dana hasn't eaten in three days. Dana needs more than three slices of pizza. You know what I mean? So that's something that just, you know, for me as a, to be a hero and really to be a leader, because I think that those two are so synonymous. There's a quote that my, my line sister said um, once, um, Shand, my line sister Shandar, and she said, a leader is one who knows the way, goes the way and shows the way and you have mm-hmm. to have all of those three things. You have to know what you're doing. You have to know what your path is and who you are and what you you know where you stand on things. And not only that, but you have to be willing to stand on it. And that means mm-hmm. being that means that you might be unpopular. That means that people mm-hmm. might not like you. You know, that means mm-hmm. that you might be the bad guy in somebody's story. You might be the bad guy in several people's stories. You know what I mean? And then more importantly, showing the way. Um, you know, and, or- and, and you can't have in either of those without the other, you can't get to showing the way before, you know, and lead by example yourself, because that's something that we so often make that mistake of is we talk a good game. You know, we yeah. talk a good game and, and we post to the high heavens about, <laughs> about Black Lives Matter, trust Black women, protect Black women and all of those good things. But if that doesn't transcend to how you do business, and if it doesn't Mm -hmm. transcend to your relationships, if it doesn't transcend to how you treat your wife or your Mm -hmm. sister or your mother or your father or your best friends or your employees, Mm -hmm. you know, especially and particularly employees for me, because, um, you know, having studied sociology, like I understand that, like, your employees' lives are basically in your hands. Like, in a world Mm -hmm. that, in a capitalist society, their lives are in your hands, you know, mm-hmm. not just in terms of like money to be made, but also their name and their brand and their reputation, you know. And um, so being a hero for me is just truly like embodying that. And, and Moana and Nuri have I talked about this, the, the concept of the hero within the hero within ourselves and, and understanding that all of us has that, you know, we all have a hero inside of us you don't have to look a certain way, you don't have to speak eloquently, you don't have to ha- go to a, a, a prestigious university to be a hero, you just have to do what's right, and and really, you know, hone in on your gifts, and use it to make the world a better place, um, use it to make the communities a better place, and that leads perfectly into Wild Card Chronicles, and um, and how they're just doing doing the damn thing um, with creating characters who are, you know, in the image of real influencers in our communities, like pioneers in our communities, like Yai, like Yayi Ramos, who is the, the first, you know, the queen rough rider, the queen of all rough riders, like the original bike club. And I was like, what, like the rough riders? Like the rough riders, okay. So, um, <laughs> but for me, like when Nuri, you know, when Nuri said um, he dropped, I believe it was Jean was the character that was dropped. And uh, I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. You know, I'm watching the video and he was like, you're next. And I was like, yeah, but you know, I've I've heard it all before. I'm like, okay, you know, I, I totally forgot about it, you know, <laughs> but then he comes up like a few months later with this video that, uh, <laughs> and I'm just like, what is happening here? this is the coolest thing ever. I just can't um, thank Nuri and Moana enough because um, they, say that you, they say that you have two deaths, right? There's the, there's your physical death, like where you tra- your spirit transitions or whatever you may believe or not believe. Um, and then there's the death of your legacy. And Nuri and Moana have done me a huge favor and just given me a legacy. You know, even before HBCUCon was was launched or um, or solidified as an organization, this is something that you know even my family you know they're very proud of it to this day. And um, you know, like my dad came by the table at AwesomeCon that was his first ever convention, and he he legit had more fun than I did that day because they had a Star <laughs> exhibit they had a Star Wars exhibit there. He went nuts, but you know. <laughs> stopping by the table and he was like buying the artwork and everything but like the first thing he was saying was like he's like no I want the comic with my baby on the cover you know I want the poster <laughs> with my baby on it because that's you know I could only imagine what it's like to be a parent and then your kid is <laughs> and it's a superhero so it's um I just want to echo that and and just applaud you for your work in really um making heroes and amplifying heroes who really do exist in this world um because we have them and they're they're doing a podcast right now <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely no thanks for those kind words cc i mean it was just our way to honor you know like the and give recognition to the real life people who are in our circles Um, it's very much the reason why I started the podcast, right? Like, you know, COVID had a lot to do with it too, but I mean, you you know, you called it out too. Like, it's all about the relationships that you have. And, you know, um, I think the podcast is a way for people to understand, you know, the real life people behind these amazing projects and the skills that they bring to the table and all of the hard work that folks are putting in, because I mean, especially in the independent community, like we are not making money like people think we are. It is really our passion and love and pride in our community that keeps us going. I mean, it's definitely what wakes me up and well, wakes me up in the morning, keeps me up at night. I mean, Dana and I are always going, you know, like late into the night.
1: we're going to bed and then we're still
2: chatting after midnight yes. and it's like, okay yeah. we are going to bed that is awesome <laughs> right 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 now it's five in the morning <laughs> <laughs> no that's that's awesome and even it's funny because like i woke up this morning and um you know i was kind of like I've had a few days because it's a pandemic and, and last year was traumatizing for all of us on various levels and we're still mm-hmm. processing it. So I have more mornings where I don't want to get out of bed and yeah. then you know, I'll start getting messages from my team or I'll see, to you know, the 28 days of black cosplay post for today. And I'm like, oh, it's time to get up. I got a team. You know, I got a team, to lead, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to your point Moana, this is like this stuff really does get me up in the morning and um and it's what I dream about <laughs> at night. So, um it's just wonderful to be in this in this space with you too and um and this podcast is wonderful as well. Thank
0: you, sis. Thank you. Thank you. righty.
2: So we went
0: a little bit long tonight, but it was it was so worth it. We had a lot to talk about, and Cece graciously gave us a little bit of extra of her time. So thank you all so much. Um, thank you to our listeners out there who are you know watching and enjoying the show. We really appreciate your time as well, and we hope that you feel welcome within our community. I'll just give one shout out again to our season two of the podcast, um, our sponsor Chat and Draw um, by Mike Watson. He has an active Kickstarter campaign right now. A couple more days left. I think he's very close to a to a uh, one of his stretch goals, which I believe is five thousand yeah. dollars. So. Okay. He has a very, uh, it's a similar show. He brings folks on, um, creators, cosplayers, different types of people. He's open, you know, to expanding his audience in a lot of different ways. But mm-hmm. he's an amazing artist and he chats with you just like we do right now, but he also draws during it. And at the end, you can see like what he has created for you. So he has a couple guest guest uh, spots in that campaign. And then he also has some amazing sketchbooks of all the art that he has created. Yeah. I think he's up to like 120 episodes now, which means 120 pieces, which is to me is amazing. Right. Um, so definitely go and check that out. We will also be in an anthology that's dropping on February 15th on Kickstarter. It's four pages, 16 bars by, uh, Jibba, brother Jibba. And so be on the lookout for that. Uh, Subscribe to our YouTube channel, share it, like it, you know, help us expand our community. Because mm-hmm. I know there are a lot more people just like us who would love to have a space where they could come and learn more about the movers and shakers of our community. Yeah. So once again, thank you guys so much for joining us. Dana and CC. any last words? Please follow Cece on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, along with HBCCon.
1: Also for the podcast, we are on Facebook, we're on YouTube as Moana said, and we're also just recently got on Twitch. So if you're more of a Twitch person versus YouTube, follow us there, you can watch us live when we have these podcasts on every Thursday and be able to follow us there. So we have three platforms, three platforms. So there's no excuses.
2: (laughs) That's dope. I guess if I I have anything else to say to folks, since you already did me the great service of shouting out my social medias, is um, I know that times are hard right now. And no matter what your situation is, just keep going.
0: All righty, everybody. Thank you again for tuning in. Take care. Be kind to one another. And we will see you on the next show. (laughs) Bye-bye.